0: Well, uh, a few weeks ago I was attending a, a funeral in uh, Llanelli Crem and, um, and usually I was uh, attending rather than kind of taking the funeral so I was in, in the congregation rather than kind of in the pulpit there in the crematorium and Llanelli Crematorium is actually one of those kind of, it's quite a nice crematorium unlike Morriston if you've ever been out which is awful but there's a lovely big window behind and there's trees and there's a beautiful view and things. And, and I was sat in the aisle seat right there, and, and I noticed something that I'd never seen before. It's kind of halfway back in the congregation, and I was square on to the minister, directly kind of in line with him as he was uh, doing the, taking the service. And uh, I noticed something right above his head. On the wall behind him was a, a light, and it kind of made him look as if he had a halo for a second. And I knew him well, and I knew he wasn't an angel. Uh, but it was uh, one of those kind of uplighters and uh, so it was kind of a semicircle bowl with the kind of the light hidden in it, projecting something. And, you know, if, perhaps if you're posh and you've got a posh painting in your house, you might have an uplighter displaying it. They get them in museums and everywhere, I don't you, do art galleries and things. But that was on the wall and, and it, was, it was highlighting, illuminating an object on the wall there in the crematorium. I'd never noticed it before, but imagine for a moment that it was illuminating a a kind of a huge sword. You know, some people in their walls, uh, in their homes, they have kind of a a uh, a display of a a kind of a sword, don't they? Kind of ceremonial. Perhaps it means something or something. Imagine seeing that in the crematorium. You think that's a bit inappropriate, or perhaps if you've been to a, a service in France and. Perhaps on the wall there behind, but perhaps lit up, there was a picture of the guillotine. Madame la guillotine. You think, that's a, well, it's a bit weird, but it's France, so, you know, that's what happens in France, isn't it? Or perhaps you go and you see a picture of a painting, beautifully painted. When you look closely, it's a, it's a picture of a firing squad, men holding rifles. You think, really? Crematorium? Perhaps it's a rope tied up as a noose on the wall. I think that is so inappropriate. Or it's an electric chair picture of a symbol of execution in America. I think, why would you have that? Or perhaps even worse, there's a picture there of a gas chamber from Auschwitz in a crematorium. I said, what's going on? Why would you? Why? you have that it's so wrong so inappropriate on the wall in the crematorium clearly a simple wooden cross an object of execution a wooden cross nobody in the crematorium batted an eyelid most people didn't even notice it i'd noticed it for the first time because just because of literally where i'd sat and the kind of the angle of it i'd never even noticed it before because nobody thought it was terrible nobody was shocked nobody was appalled even in the congregation of the funeral probably people were wearing a a metal cross with a gold chain holding it in place a symbol of tortuous execution on the wall and hanging around our necks because we've had 2,000 years to get used to the idea haven't we that an instrument of tortuous execution should be the symbol of our faith a symbol of our identity and as we'll see in closing this morning a symbol of our sure and certain hope as well this morning You see the cross we have to remember and we need to remember the cross was a was a method of execution that the Romans used particularly on slaves and not long after it was used it was outlawed because it was so horrendous it was always illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified they never did it to their own because it was so bad It was never talked about in polite Roman society. You would never, ever talk about it in a polite dinner party if you were Roman. Uh, We had uh, uh, a takeaway last night with a couple of friends and uh, we did not talk about people being executed. Actually, we did talk about people in prison, but we didn't talk about people being executed. You just don't talk about those things and you didn't back in the day. And you especially didn't talk about The cross, crucifixion. Why? Because it's horrendous. Even by normal methods of execution, whatever that is, it was horrendous. We now know, looking back, that the feet of those executed were put onto the to the side of the wooden cross, so the feet were kind of side on and and nailed on in that way. And unlike the kind of the the Renaissance pictures, the paintings, whoever was on a cross was always naked. There was no loincloth. They were completely naked with their legs open. Why? Shame. To bring complete, humiliating shame upon whoever was there. It was shameful for a Jewish man to, to show his ankles. For those on a the cross, they were completely naked completely and utterly exposed we live in a day where there is no shame in our society is there this was a culture of shame no wonder despising the shame the cross is designed not just for complete agony but for complete humiliation and for the complete shaming of the person on the cross there is the agony of the painful slow slow death but there's also that shame everyone sees you in your nakedness in your complete weakness you can't move your arms or your feet there's nothing that you can do to help yourself in any way birds come and peck at you and you can't shoo them away in any way you can't do anything And it's all public and it's all designed to say this is the power of rome this is weakness this is roman authority this is roman power it's why places like the appian way were lined with people on the crucifixes because if there was any hint that you would rebel against roman power and roman authority this is your fate no one surely would dare to do that and these three of course they were three there crucified men are weak pathetic degraded completely overpowered and suffering this slow agonizing death rome seemingly has triumphed again a weak foe against the power of rome there is no competition And when you look at that, no wonder, you know, the disciples hid in a room. No wonder the disciples fled. We all would have, wouldn't we? When you see that, we all would flee flee in weakness against the Roman power. Rome triumphs. Jesus and the other two are in weakness. The picture is one of defeat. The picture is one of loss the jewish leaders have won the roman soldiers have won and then we come to one corinthians one and one corinthians one reminds us this is the power and the wisdom of god Their seeming weakness compared to the power of the roman authorities and roman might and yet we're told here that this is power, this is real power, and this is real wisdom. It is God's power and God's wisdom, and yet it looks weak. In the stories of the Greek or the Norse or the the Roman gods, if you ever read them, questions on the chase or on Pointless, you get questions all the time about Greek gods, don't you? But if you read their stories, what do they do? They come down, don't they? They come down to show how powerful they are mars the god of war to dominate to procreate to make war to show their power to flex their muscles that's all the stories of the greek gods and the roman gods and the norse gods they come to dominate they come to show how superior they are god the sun comes into the world in a completely different way he comes in humility he comes to serve He comes to give his life as a ransom for many and that is the power and the wisdom of God we're told we didn't uh, read the preceding verses but the preceding verses Paul is dealing with the issue of a lack of unity in the church there's problems in the church they're divided he says in verse 13 is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you we baptize in the name of Paul and so there, there's, there's divisions in the church. There's a bit of infighting. Paul's response is to show them that there is unity in Jesus Christ. That they are united in his baptism. Uh, he asks, isn't he? Uh, Christ, uh, baptising to Christ. I don't remember who I baptised. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul. No, you were baptized in the name of jesus you were baptized into him we are united because we are baptized in him that brings us and gives us that unity it is jesus who unites us and then in the midst of talking about that he brings us to the cross verse 17 christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel what is the gospel Well, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's all about the cross of Christ. And even if I speak with wisdom and eloquence, sometimes I can get in the way, says Paul, and I don't do anything to get in the way of what the message is. And the message is Christ on a cross. Christ crucified for us. That is Paul's message. This man dying in agony, in shame, in humiliation is the absolute picture for us of the power and the wisdom of the living God. That's Paul's message. And the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is the message that Paul gives us. You see it there in verse 17. You see it in verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, is the power of God. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles, backed to those whom God has called, uh, both Jews and Greeks, Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. It's those two things and the, the highlight of power and wisdom is the cross. It's Jesus dying well let's have a look then at this the first thing we see is this the message must be cross-centered paul is that's what paul is simply saying the message must be cross-centered it's not that this is a foolish a foolish preaching this is about the foolishness of preaching it's not the way to deliberately be foolish in what we say and do and everything else no, no, no. that's what paul is saying he's basically saying that that it's the fool, that people think that it's foolishness preaching this but paul says it's the message the world thinks it's foolish and when you look on you think you think well of course he would think it's foolish rome triumphs jesus dies of course that's foolish but god says this is power and wisdom and paul says this is the message we've got to remember that over the years i've heard some wonderfully helpful messages david perhaps facing goliath and uh, you know david is lifted up and gets rid of goliath and we're told you need to have the same faith as david you need that bold courage that david had you know you can be a david or you can be a daniel and stand up and you need that boldness that's what you need or Somebody preaches about the Good Samaritan, you know, and and you need to be a helpful, sacrificial friend to those in need. And, you know, give to the food bank and have a heating hub and all that kind of thing. And that's a good thing to do and that's helpful. But there's a problem, isn't there, if that's the message. Because a Unitarian can preach that message. Even a Muslim can preach that message even an atheist can preach the message be a good neighbor help those in trouble us a universal message that can be preached by universalists you know we can hear good messages about jesus and it can be helpful but paul says well, without the cross it's not the gospel verse 17 christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel what is it Well, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul is saying it's all about the cross of Christ. That's the message. That's the gospel. That's the good news, which is what gospel means. The world looks on and says, well, that's just foolish. Paul says that's the power of God. That's the wisdom of God. See Paul is writing to the church remember here he's writing to Christians I don't think that when Paul is talking about those Jews demanding signs and Greeks looking for wisdom I don't think that he's just looking outside the church he's looking within the church as well I mean people outside the church are looking for power they're looking for wisdom but so do we We look for wisdom and power in the wrong places in the church, don't we? Oh, if only the Lord would save, and we think of someone wise or in the world's eyes or powerful in the world's eyes, if only the Lord would save our prime minister or our first minister or our local politician or big celebrity, that's your favourite, if only the Lord would save, I was going to say the Welsh rugby captain, perhaps not at the moment, Uh, (laughs) But if only the Lord would say somebody famous. Imagine what God can use them. But we're looking in the world's eyes at power and wisdom. I was really struck a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a, a big debate in Australia. Um, I can't remember what the story was now. I think it was a politician or something. It was a chief executive of a rugby team. Or an Aussie Rules football team, or something, who basically went to a church and uh, and they basically in the church preached the Bible and they'd actually preached the Bible and this sermon had gone on YouTube, and it actually been before this guy kind of started even attending this church. But this man was a Christian and had to basically had to resign after a couple of days of being chief executive of this big Aussie Rules team, and the pastor of the church went on breakfast TV. To explain the church's position on, I think it was like LGBT two plus whatever uh, things, and uh, and the Christians, you can imagine the Christians who are watching this thinking, please tell them the gospel, please you know be powerful, please make your stance, please be biblical and everything else, and in a typical kind of breakfast TV. The pastor didn't really get a word in edgeways and he was just kind of assaulted verbally by the person who was doing the breakfast tv news this is what somebody said that was great christian saying this hang on he didn't get a word in couldn't argue with biblical case basically people were saying in the media well look how weak he was look how poor he was uh they just he just got well, he just got battered by the presenter you could say he just got crucified by the presenter so yeah that's it that's the gospel that's where a christian should be not displaying wisdom but being crucified on tv because after all as followers of jesus christ what are we to do take up our cross it looks weak in the world's eyes but that's where we are we are with the cross of Christ we are to take up our cross we are to be crucified as Christ is crucified that's where we are it's not in the world's power it's not in the world's wisdom it's in humiliation like Christ and Paul is writing to Christians here we preach Christ crucified it may be a stumbling block to us at times Because we're thinking like Jews. It may be foolishness at times because we're thinking like Gentiles. We want the power, we want the wisdom, but we're looking at it from a world's point of view. Paul is writing to Christians here about these things. Paul says it's Christ crucified and that means that it's us crucified as well. And it's humiliating. But that's where we are to go. And that's where we are to be. the second thing we see here is is that the cross is not a fence the cross is not a fence you can sit on the fence on lots of issues can't you politics always good to sit on the fence in politics in church circles i think does pineapple belong on a pizza it's even possible to sit on the fence there I just state my position here? Pineapple definitely belongs on a pizza. With ham, marvelous. But you can sit on the fence on things like that, can't you? But Paul is telling us here when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the cross of Christ, you cannot sit on the fence. It's not possible. There is no third way. The cross to you is either the power of God uh, for salvation or it's weakness and foolish. There is no third way. There's no choice. Paul gives us the choice of powerless wisdom or foolish power. No third option. There's no option of the wisdom of the world and the power of God. It is God's power versus the world's wisdom. And this is not a heavyweight battle. There is no winner here only one winner rather here and it is God it is the power of God and sal- salvation and it is at the cross where we see that if you look at verses 19 and 20 you see that God has already revealed this to us it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate it's a direct quote from Isaiah 29 the the Israelites have already been told this I'm going to frustrate all that wisdom you have. You think you're wise in your own way? You think you're going to walk in the power in this way? No, I'm going to frustrate that. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher? Where's the philosopher? God has made these things foolish. You can't compare it. God has destroyed these things. And is destroying these things. When we try to add our own wisdom, this is what happens. And the key word in the whole paragraph actually is wisdom. It's used eight times. And the key idea here is that Paul is saying we dare not mix man's wisdom with God's revealed message. The entire section is on wisdom. Right through to chapter 2 verse 16. It's all about the wisdom of God. And it presents time and time again these contrasts between the revealed word word of God and the wisdom of men. God's wisdom, revealed primarily, where? In the cross. But of course, not everyone sees it. And Paul gives us ways that people respond to the cross, even in the church, remember. And some stumble at the cross, verse 23, a stumbling block to Jews. The attitude of some Jews, including Jews in the church at Corinth, as Paul is appealing for unity, is that they're stumbling over the cross they're carrying their baggage their background with them and we do that as well don't we whatever our background is we take it with us into the church and their emphasis because they're Jews is well look what Moses did look what Elijah did they're looking back for past miracles we want a Messiah who'll get rid of the, Jew, the, the Romans we want a Messiah who will do this we want a church that will do that They're looking for miracles. They're looking for miraculous signs. Compared to the parting of the seas, compared to Moses' outstretched arms, the outstretched arms of Jesus look weak. His death comes instead of life coming to the Israelites. It looks weak, of course it does. All those miraculous events showing God's power are nothing to seeing God's power at the cross as Jesus weakly dies. But you see what's happening, the Jewish people, they don't understand their own scriptures. They don't understand the Old Testament, they're looking for a mighty conqueror to defeat the enemies and set up a new kingdom, even in... The book of acts in acts 1:6, the apostles are looking in the wrong thing uh, in the wrong place as the, or to the wrong thing to jesus the kingdom that he's going to set up is completely different to what they think is going to be like and you see we can do the same thing in the church we want a savior who will bring glory and ease to our situation how many times do we pray for revival lord revive the church make the church powerful again why bring loads of people in save loads of people yeah great why to bring glory to christ or to make our lives easier so that we're not the only ones on our streets so that we're not the only ones in work when we're surrounded by other christians that's easy and easier and so we can have the wrong motives can't we we can stumble over the cross See, the old testament messiah must suffer and die passages like psalm 22 isaiah 53 and others they point us towards a messiah who's not going to conquer the romans but one who's going to come and suffer and I don't understand that the messiah must suffer and die before he can enter into his glory that the future mess- messianic kingdom was to be preceded by the age of the church where we all take up our cross to follow christ they were looking for power for great glory and they are stumbling in the weakness of the cross how could anyone in those days put their faith in a carpenter from nazareth who died the shameful death of a common criminal but that's the call of the gospel and it is paul says the power of God to salvation. And rather than a testimony of weakness, the cross is an instrument of power for us who are saved. And it is stronger, Paul says in verse 25, than men. The power of men, even the power of the Roman Empire, is nothing compared to the power of God. But others, of course, laugh at the cross. You tell others about Jesus. Tell your friends about the cross, they laugh, they mock. It's the response to the Greeks, it's foolishness. The Greeks emphasised wisdom, didn't they? It's part of their culture. We still have the writings of the Greek philosophers, but they saw no wisdom in the cross. They again are looking at the cross from a human point of view and just seeing it as being foolish. Death? Why would anyone who wants to bring a kingdom in die surely if you're going to be a a king you've got to be like alexander the great and and lead in battle and lead the kingdom but jesus comes and dies for the kingdom well that's foolish for them well he says to them what about your studies into man's wisdom have you come to know god in a personal way they say all your studies all your debating all those things that you look at foolishness philosophers of the age wise people teachers of the law do they bring you to god we can ask the same thing today all the wisdom of twitter that's tiny all the wisdom of facebook and instagram and the media and and everything else and where does that wisdom bring us does it bring us to god Does it bring us into relationship with him? Does it bring us to know him? No, it doesn't, does it? That wisdom doesn't bring us any nearer to God. Paul says those who believe, those who experience the power and the wisdom of cross for them, it's a message of salvation. This is what brings us to God. The weakness and power, supposedly that the world throws at Jesus as it kills him on the cross, is the wisdom and power of God, and it brings us to God, brings us into relationship with God. It's not the Christ of the manger. It's not the Christ who feeds thousands. It's not even the Christ who raises the dead. It is the Christ of the cross, and in his death, that we can come to know God for ourselves. This is what brings us salvation this morning. Paul's cry for unity here for the church in Corinth is that they're called into fellowship with God because of their union with Jesus Christ. And because he died for us, because we were baptised in his name, we are identified with his cross. That's where our unity is, and that's where our unity is this morning, is at the cross that we are in Christ, a crucified Christ. Well, that's the third thing we see this morning is that this is the message that brings us to god wisdom does not bring us to god verse 21 through its wisdom the world did not know him you know there's nothing in this world that can bring us to god we cannot know god we can understand the natural world you can see the hand of the creator you can have a belief in god you can see and and see his creative power and his design and, and everything else but you don't get closer to God through nature you can climb the Alps and and sing come by ah, my Lord on the top of the Alps and have the most amazing view in the world but you're no closer to God there than you are in the Gurnos estate in the Merthyr or somewhere you are no different it's not wisdom or nature that brings us to God there's nothing in the world that brings us to God in that way nothing wise and miracles don't bring us to god supposed power does not bring us to god a few weeks ago at the end of october it was reformation day looking back to the reformers calvin and luther and the others returning and remembering the church the truths you know faith alone in christ alone by his grace alone to the glory of god alone and where do we see those reformation truths most clearly See them at the cross. And do you know what brings God pleasure? We're told here it's to save those who believe. That brings God pleasure. Verse 21 God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. When you trust in Jesus Christ, him crucified for you, him as a sacrifice on that cross for your sins, that brings great pleasure to the living God. The cross of Christ, when it's preached and believed, God is pleased. That's amazing, isn't it? The weakness of the world, the cross of Christ, well, it's not even the cross of Christ, is it? It's the Christ of the cross when we trust him it brings pleasure to God and so why is it so significant why that there's a cross on that that crematorium wall why is it actually so apt it's not wrong why is it so apt because that little cross that symbol of execution in that crematorium is empty there's no person on it it's just a wooden cross not significant in a crematorium of all places why because the cross is not the end of the story he rose again to newness of life there's hope even in that crematorium. i mean when that sad funeral service that i was in the other week there was immense sure certain great hope why that cross is empty christ has risen again and when we are united christ he has not only lived for us and died for us he's risen again for us as well there's our hope this morning isn't it that's why it's so appropriate that the cross is in the crematorium wall he has done it and his resurrection he is the first to go where we will follow have you got that sure and certain hope this morning do you know the power and wisdom of god Are you looking in the wrong places are you looking at the cross of christ are you looking at the christ of the cross this morning he is your hope and he is our only hope this morning well we're going to sing to close great modern song which reminds us of the power of the cross the power of the christ on that cross oh to see the dawn of the darkest day and we'll stand to sing